Welcome to Toys on Tap. Uh, Dustin, it's been forever since I've seen you. I've missed you dearly. Yo-Yo Dine, come oh, on. Yeah. I saw you last weekend. You don't get yeah, it. Yeah, I saw you like five days ago. Yeah. <laughs> enough time to miss me. We should have uh, we should have waited another week before recording this, and then you could have yeah. missed me a little more. <laughs> you <laughs> guys have one of the coolest shows probably to date coming into the toy scene. Um, it kind of comes at the pinnacle of one of the biggest uh, companies losing some rights and and we've covered it in some episodes and done so much stuff. So Scott kind of walk me through why Mickey, one of the cooler parts is uh, with all this is you're, you're, you're taking on, you're kind of taking on a corporation when you do the show, but you're doing it in a fun way. So why, why Mickey, why this fascination? Why this? Um, can I start with a quote actually? Uh, because I think that it's important to remember, and this is Walt Disney himself. The very first thing that Walt Disney said, and I think I said this on our the previous episode we did about Disney back with the Understanding Bootlegs two years ago, was in 1954, Disney is starting to do the larger brand management. Television is coming online, and the wonderful world of Disney comes on TV. And he says in his, like the first thing he says, I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that it was all started by a mouse and so with design i just just to ground that this part of why a little um we were just a designer con at the anaheim convention center uh you and i were abe and uh my partner um claire and i were talking about this and it was her, her first designer con and she said i find it so fascinating that it's across the street from the place that ultimately kicked off the culture that you are all participating in now. Um, we don't have designer and bootleg toys without Disney. We don't have pop culture or mass culture as we understand it without Mickey Mouse and Disney and the things that Walt Disney started doing in the 1920s. Um, and so Disney's influence in the world has been so vast it's it's probably incalculable i think anyone anywhere would recognize the image of mickey mouse and that in 1929 after the success of steamboat willie the next thing that walt did instead of making another film right away was to form a subsidiary company exclusively dedicated to licensing the likeness of mickey mouse to manufacturers and in that all of the this sort of mass culture transmedia whatever terminology you use starts emerging comics radio film tv blending those things together merchandise on the other side and so disney has been protecting their ip and by and more recently buying up other people's ip and throughout history mining the public domain to create IP for themselves, Snow White, Cinderella, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And they also, on the other side of that, have been protecting their own IP litigiously for the entire history of that company as well, including lobbying the American lawmakers to extend corporate copyrights twice, once in 1976 with the Copyright Act of 76, and once again in is it 99 with the part of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act? And why Mickey and why now is because January 1st, 2024, 
um, the Steamboat Willie version only because that's the copyrighted version that is that is is coming is coming into the public domain, which means anyone is essentially free to use his likeness, that particular version of the mouse, without Disney being able to do anything about it legally. Uh, and that's significant because this should have happened 50 years ago. Um, and so why Mickey now as well is because culture responds to culture and it's sort of upon artists to sort of respond to culture by taking in what is there. And so that is the nature of appropriation artists. You are responding to other things in culture and reusing them and remixing them and recontextualizing them to create new work. Um, and so this is why I really wanted to do this show is because Mickey is sort of the origins of all of the character licensing and toys and merchandise and designer toys and all of that kind of stuff. Um, that I thought it was the right, it's the perfect moment to say, well, this is actually kind of the anniversary where it started 54 or sorry, 94 years ago. Like, let's celebrate this, you know, this coming on like Mickey coming into the public domain for the first time. Um, and like, let's do something like fun and different with this show and sort of give artists like a platform to express themselves and to sort of play around with the iconography of Mickey Mouse. Yeah. And you did yeah. what's cool about the show is you did um, what I dream that most shows do where you offer the piece so you can make this show so concise and it has a streamline and um, either the mask, uh, which is beautifully done by that machine work or the, the head from the super seven, if I remember correctly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah um, yeah, so every artist isn't just being asked to make a Mickey thing. Uh, every artist was given a resin cast Mickey Mouse action figure head and a vacuum formed um, reproduction of a 1960s Ben Cooper Mickey Halloween mask that they got in white styrene or uh, mm. what would it, yeah, PETG. I think it was styrene. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so it was like, trying to hone it in so that to see what other people do uh, holding one up right yeah that was beautiful i think beautiful. what is as uh as one of the people that's, that's oh my god that's, that's fame, so good right yeah that's so good um as so good. one of the artists that um lovingly got asked thank you for that to be in it the what is really daunting is the mask it's a much bigger surface area I can't really manipulate it like I would a toy to create something else. And and so um, I definitely, like I wanted to do that, but especially with something that's so glorious as Mickey coming into the public sphere, I was like, no, I'm going to stay in my comfort zone. And um, actually, Dustin, I don't know if you've seen it. I've given uh, Scott, he has it up in Canada with them right now. Um, yeah. I, I built yeah, I it. Seen it yet. I'm so pumped for it. Um <laughs> It's such a goofy thing, but it it really gave us avenues, which is like greater than most. It, like it's better than just saying here is a theme run. Yeah, you know, I mean, it sort of speaks. I, I, I think part of the reason that I wanted to do both a toy and a mask for each artist, which is why the show has like, you know, probably fewer artists than other other shows i would say and it's tight is because at volume everybody's making two pieces now um 
but the mask I wanted, I really wanted to do this one because I feel like it's a, it's kind of a fun for me. It was a fun homage to to Dove and the Vader project, but like way lower budget, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> right? Um, it's like you know those beautiful Vader masks that they had made for that show versus like me like like pulling forms in a plastic studio at one of the universities I work at. Um, um, but I thought that it would be interesting to see what a bunch of toy makers and people who are traditionally working at a smaller scale, what would happen if you gave them something like this. And it speaks to the platform that is Mickey by give like by being very concise about, you know, the, the iconic shape of Mickey, like being so like I could you could spot it from a mile away. Like, you know, um, that I really wanted to play within the platform and sort of hone in and keep it tighter that way, I guess. Yeah. And Dustin, as we kind of switch gears, E2K is this spot that like maybe started out as a toy store, but now just exists as a pillar for this community and like in shows and with you running the show and, and, and your lives and Janky's told me about some stuff coming, like just hearing from all angles of the different things that have happened. Um, what, what was the reason that you took part in this? Why at E2K? Um, that might be more of a question for Scott because when Scott brought me the idea, of course, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> so why did he ask me first? I have no idea. But, um, <laughs> uh, I, but, think, yeah. I think Abe answered the question already. Um, you know, in February, I got to visit E2K for the first time, even though I think like this has been on the books for like a year and a half, almost two years. Dustin and I had the conversation yeah. about this show. Um, but being at Arctic Kentucky in person in February for the first time, like felt like coming home, like mm -hmm. that pillar of the community thing is not hyperbolic, Dustin. It's not. I know you're blushing. You're like, oh. but <laughs> E2K has become E2K has become such a, a special place for so many of us because it's it's like a like a hub of for the community. Right. Both the local like toy makers who are there, but that larger community. Um, and I thought, you know, what better, what better place to have this show? Like, I couldn't think of a better place to have this show. E2K is a very special place. Um, and that was really why, um, you know, Dustin was like the E2K was not even just the first choice, the only choice, honestly. Oh. Um, well, I didn't even nice. think about doing it anywhere else. It was like, this is a thing I want to do with these people in that place that is so special you know um, yeah sorry. well i really appreciate that <laughs> well we really appreciate you wow so let me go uh, get a kleenex and wait yeah holy moly um, <laughs> um one of the the interesting things about this as well is um we're we're taking something that I don't know. That has been ripped before, right? You, you see Mickey in versions of the companion from cause you see Mickey in Vandal's work. You see Mickey in, that has been ripped. Uh, Gone deck draws has destroyed Mickey through this kind of like, um, dude, man. you could literally throw a stone from anywhere in designer con and hit a booth that had something appropriating Mickey mouse at it. Yeah. And so to, to right. be in a show on the first day of a year, in which it is now legal to do that type Ish. of appropriation. Yeah. 
Um, I'm really excited. So, and as it goes to that, tell me how, like what thought process went into this? Cause you and I did five episodes of understanding bootlegs and episode two is all about Disney and their white knuckled hold on their IP. Mm-hmm. So like walk me through that. Um, I think it, for me, the political or the, the ideological calculus is simply that, um, how do I say this? I'm very pro-access, which means by, I think by in turn means that I'm I'm kind of anti-copyright to a mm-hmm. certain extent. I think artists' rights need to be protected and their work needs to be protected, but I think copyright as it is doesn't work, right? It's a mode of prohibition. Um, that's why black markets exist, to make things that are prohibited, meaning in this case, licensing is a mode of prohibition where someone says, only you may make these things. And then that, for, it doesn't just con- control what's what's made, it controls how and when it's consumed um, as well. And that sphere of control is something I'm very resistant to and always sort of have been, like just for myself. And I think the calculus for this otherwise was, Dustin and I were talking about, I wanted to curate a show and I, was just like January 1st, 2024. Like I already knew the date, you know, two years ago. Like I've been keeping an eye on this thing because it's it's part of my res- my 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 job or my role is like a scholar and a researcher is looking at IP and how it articulates itself in toys um, and other media, of course, right? Um, and it just made total sense. I was like, this is the right date. Of course, this is the date to launch an exhibition. Um, you know, like, sure, maybe people might be hungover for New Year's, but we'll have Mickey Mimosas and, you know, we'll have a party and celebrate the fact that for the first time in the history of this corporation and all of its litigiousness and all of its lobbying and all of its control over mass culture or attempts to control mass culture, this is the first moment where at a policy and legislative level, they're not holding the reins on something anymore. And I think that's really significant. And I think that that is why I was like, all right, let's let's just blow the doors open and let people really play with this iconography, you know, and not just slap X's on the eyes, which is what I did for the poster, which was a nod to someone else who you were already talking about, Um, you know, um, and you know, there's a there's a whole other discourse that we could talk about in terms of uh, significantly transformed in contemporary culture means put X's on a thing and it's transformed. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, you know, and, and now we're starting to hear that Disney is actually looking to sort of dial back Mickey as a mascot after January 1st and they might go somewhere else, right? So that's where it gets interesting, though, because the copyright of the Steamboat Willie Mickey might expire, but all the copyrights of the updates that they've done over the years haven't. That's the first thing. And the second thing, because he's also a corporate logo, he's trademarked, which has different protections than copyright law. Mm-hmm. Um, so that significant transformation, which is part of fair use legislation, which was actually codified in American copyright law in 1976, the same year that Disney got their first extension for Mickey. Um, 
you know, fair use says significant transformation through appropriation, right? Critique, pastiche, satire, all of that is fair game. And so we're, you know, we're not really poking a bear here because I firmly believe that everybody is going. I think the thing that comes the closest that they would be concerned about is the way that I use the Mickey Mouse Club logo in the promotional stuff. Mm. Um, Which is incredible. Yeah, slap some X's on a thing, you're yeah. done. Um, you know, um, yeah, anyway, sorry, that's a bit of a ramble, but like, yeah, you know, I think that like in contemporary culture, like even with AI, people are talking about all this stuff about copyright and theft. And then I look at our community and be like, we live in a derivative culture, and we have to admit that we participate in practices that could best be described as derivative. Um, because culture refers to and responds to culture, and that's what we're all doing. And so even like copyright laws in that way, it's like, well, the AI is just an aggregate in the same way that my mode of ideation is aggregating the same cultural material, maybe not at the scale of big data, but I'm still taking in data, all that cultural like input, and then putting something into the world based on all of those those influences, right? Yeah. Um, and so this is why I think end of rant would be, I would like to see greater copyright reform. I would still want to see artists' rights protected. But also let's remember that Disney founded the company in 29 because of artists' rights, because he lost the rights to Oswald the Rabbit that he made at Universal as a work-for-hire artist, and they wouldn't let him use the character. So Disney starts as a company predicated on artists' rights and then it ends up being like the largest holder of IP and, and most like egregious violator of artist rights historically in corporate culture at this point. Um, you know, and like, I'll, I'll end with this. You either, you, the dark night, this dark night quote is my favorite quotes to use. You either die the hero or you live long enough to become the villain. Right. Hmm. And yeah. all of that stuff with Mickey, like is he's, he, as a as a character and as an icon, he became a symbol for like not just corporate American culture, but American culture. Like we talked about Far for the Mouse, the Palestinian children's television show that used a parody of Mickey Mouse to counter what they consider to be American propaganda through Disney. Um, like there's all these crazy stories about how people have used him in response to all of these spheres of control. Mm -hmm. You can in, feel free to edit out any of this randomly. No, no, I'm keeping it all in. Um, I get fired up. I can't <laughs> help it. I get fired up about this. Stuff. Two things come to mind. Uh, one, you get to join a club of one of the greats. Dan O'Neill creates Mickey and the Air Pirates. You and Dustin now together jointly get to enter into a club of like people that that did it, that made something that was branded Mickey that did it. And you just, you killed it. Um, I mean, sadly he's getting up in years, but uh, I would, I, the goal was to get him on today. Uh, I could not get him to respond to an email, um, but I, you're now joining this club that is, that is able to stand up to that and, and to continue and, and to take this on Two, It makes me think of like, it's the flywheel effect where like the wheel starts to slowly turn and then it gains speed. And then um, like what characters are now in the pipeline that are becoming public domain? Like how many more Disney characters are about to start trickling down? And so um, I could, I could gauge the fear 
that Disney has. Like I, I would be pissed if I couldn't extend my copyrights. Well, one of the reasons that you see Disney buying up all these other brands for the past 15 years is precisely because they are a corporation with a very long view. And they're like, well, if we're losing that one, we need, you know, we need to get others. Um, and so like Marvel, the Muppets, right? No, because that didn't happen or did, did, did something happen with that one. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, it, like all of these other sort of IPs that they bought, Star Wars, like Lucas, you know, is is partially to um, to own a greater a greater volume of intellectual property that will not expire and extend the life of that company by using these other IPs, right? That's why you don't see like a lot of Mickey Mouse shit in the world, but you see a lot of Star Wars and Marvel shit in the world, right? Um, the next big character in pop culture that would be public domain would be Superman. Mm, um, that's going to go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's five years out. I think it's tw 1929 um, or 2029. Sorry. Cause okay. it was 1934. I think so. Yeah. So that's also like, so, you know, stay tuned for the, the super <laughs> Uh, super in five guys. years, super guys, <laughs> yeah, um, super fella. Um, but yeah, so you know, it, 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 like the whole acquisition and and sort of like that process of acquisition has also been a way to sort of like mitigate what they would perceive to be like loss of revenue. As Mickey is, I think Minnie would also be next because she was introduced, I think, in thirty or thirty one. So. Um, not far away. Yeah, anyone in the original Steamboat Willie cartoon, I'm assuming, is next. So that giant fat guy that was fighting him. Anybody who was in that cartoon, period. Yeah. As of this year, that's done. Like, because that film is public domain and is no longer copywritten. Unreal. Yeah, isn't that Minnie in the cartoon? I think so. Is, is she in it? Yeah. I think it's no, Minnie. It's like, there's a uh, lady mouse. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's specifically, it. yeah. I expect yeah. a Lady Mouse show coming up then too, huh? <laughs> yeah, we'll just uh, use them. We'll just... You have, have a couple Lady Mice that they no, sent uh, in. No, I'm saying we might. No, I'm saying we might get a couple. Who knows? Oh, um, yeah. as a like companion to this, Dustin with E2K, um, it seemed like once the shop was created and you created this space and and we talked about on your episode of toys on tap that you were for the artist and then there was a moment in which you broke into this like um i i, I don't love the term gallery space but we can use it like gallery space um in which you were like hosting shows and and not like one or two a year it seems like it's way more than that um why Tell me, like, what was the – we're doing a, a brief history as we lead up to now this show coming in 2024. You know, that's interesting. I mean, I think we always knew that we were going to have a dedicated space for shows. Um, I mean, I know our first show was the New Wave show, which would have been February 2021 after we opened in uh, September of 2020. So You're, five months. Was it? Yeah, it was the New Wave show. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was the very first show. And I think the second show, I mean, 
I start to lose track, but I'm almost positive the second show was our first David Lynch show. Mm. Yeah. Um, maybe in June of that year. And um, no, I mean, the, the, the thing that we didn't expect, though, with the shows was like the, the sort of communal experience that you get at the openings. And that's artists. And um, we have artists. Then we have um, customers who love to come to these kind of events. And then literally people off the street who are like, what's happening in here? It looks like fun. Um, and um, the shows really have become like a, like something that everybody kind of looks forward to. I know I look forward to it because you know that you're going to get to hang out with like a bunch of people and just talk about boys for four hours or sometimes six and seven hours, you know, (laughs) depending on how everything's going. So, um, yeah, but the shows are really, really important. I think to keep the store, uh, sort of to, to keep us inspired in a lot of ways. And I think it worked. I mean, I think it helps keep other people, um, excited and invested in what we're doing because that's like the most important thing um yeah i think as you you've built this community um where people like anyone that lives in that core hub in the in that area come into this conversation and say like oh i was at e2k Oh, I went to this show and I saw these people. One of my favorite um, compliments about my show really centers around your shop. Like someone, uh, uh, they sent me a message and they said, uh, hey, I went to a show at E2K. And it was like, you gave me a common ground to be able to talk to people through the podcast. And I just responded. Well, I responded. I was like, no, the common ground was E2K. Like don't pass that off. What are you doing? But it was a cool, like synergy that we're like in step without ever. I don't have to be at E2K. You don't have to always be on the show, but we're just in step with what we're doing for artists. And it was great to see. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. I always, I know I, I always balk a little bit at the, um, the complimentary aspect, but because I mean, really we made a space but it wouldn't like the, the people who come there and the people who get involved that that's like something I have nothing to do with that. Yeah. And that's what is inspiring to me and like amazes me all the time, literally. Uh, so it, like we really just, you know, made a physical place. That's, that's pretty much it. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of work. I mean, I'm not going to say There's some that, Field but... of Dreams quotes that apply to this. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? You know what? I never thought about it that way, but it really is very similar. Yeah. Because, like, we're, you know, I wouldn't say that we, anyway, well, I won't go on about that. But um, but I think we get a lot more credit than we deserve. But um, because it's really about the people who who get involved with it. Yeah. Essentially. Scott, as we look at this copyright thing with Mickey, what is this going to start pointing to with culture? We went through this uh, a while ago with Winnie the Pooh, right? Winnie the Pooh Mm -hmm. went into public domain. 
we now have things like the horror movie with Winnie the Pooh, and that's like the only thing that happened, though. It's so yeah. crazy, right? Like it's kind of garbage, <laughs> but I yeah. think we just we we you you get the weird first. It seems like that came out, and it was like, oh god, what happened? Um, and so. Like, what do you think this is going to point to for Mickey as you approach? Because, I mean, you've clarified it a few times where it's it's just Steamboat Willie, but that's still Mickey Mouse. Like, that doesn't change who it is. So what does this really say for what's to come? I, I think, uh, you know, it's a moment that I think is worth acknowledging, which is why I wanted to do the show. But I think the truth is, is that what we'll see in culture is what we always see in culture is that people will just take Mickey Mouse and use his likeness. And some people may be litigated and some people won't be, but people are going to keep doing it. I mean, you know, like you were talking about Dan, um, you know, and like the Mouse Liberation Front, as you know, is a clear inspiration for why this project happened. Um, which is why it's the Mickey Mouse Appropriation Club. Mm -hmm. And I made membership kits and stuff, right? To sort of play with both that original sort of like community management fan club shit that Disney was doing with that, the Mouseketeers, but also to sort of acknowledge um, the MLF in a very like clear way. Like there's a membership card that has a little miniature manifesto about copyright on the bottom that you can fill out. Um, I think it'll be more the same. And we saw it at DesignerCon literally just over the weekend, like I said. And I don't mean to, when I say throw a stone and you will hit work that is using the likeness of Mickey Mouse in some way, I don't say that to be pejorative. I mean, it sounds hyperbolic, but if you've been to DesignerCon, you also know that it's, there's a truth kind of rooted in what I'm saying. So I think people will just do what people will do and artists will respond to culture. Um, you know, I don't know if it'll shift the discourse much at all because you know there are people to, like i said copyright is such a a lot of people talk about copyright and and trademarks and very few people have a very deep and nuanced understanding of it um even if you know you got a cease and desist over something you could go to court and argue that you had significantly transformed that thing but in the face of like corporate litigation where are you going to find someone who's going to fight that fight for you? And could you afford to, um, right? Um, so that stuff will probably still happen. I mean, you know, we like we recently heard about dystopian customs yeah. getting getting bumped, bounced off of Instagram because of um, copyright claims from uh, the Teletubbies people. Um, yeah, you know, and and like speaking of like. You know, and that's not even really wholly a relevant brand. Did they reboot it or something? Because I think they might have. I, I was like, hoping because if you're going to produce yeah. crazy flocked toys that I want, like I hope uh, yeah. you reboot. I, I think what yeah. is interesting is the artistic element that comes. So we're talking about um, uh, like Winnie the Pooh, one of my favorite pieces of all time. It's made by a guy named G. Saya. Oh, uh, the tattoo. Yeah, the tattooed. Yeah. yeah. And he just like he did super well with it, well within the um, copyright thing. But when he was on the show, one of the things that we talked about, like kind of before he recorded, he held it up and he said the like when they say that it has to be a certain percentage change, they're not saying like this level, 
Like there's not a level in here. It's likeness, which is so much harder to judge because if yeah, it's like, subjective and would be yeah. subjective um, based on essentially whoever is like judging the trial, whether it would be a jury, one judge or a panel of judges, if it was a Supreme court case, like in the case of the air pirates findings. Right. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a, a, a deep sub. Yeah. There's a deep subjectivity in the determinations like yeah. the legal subjectivity and these are not people who are experts on character design right they're experts on the law yeah. so like there's a weird that's a that's a really difficult I, I think thing to navigate um can i just say i just wanted to say this we are sitting here talking on video and everybody will only hear the audio when we spoke for the first time years ago on this podcast you were in a room with a blank wall and you were like, I don't collect toys. And now <laughs> the worst. I know. Now, now I have so uh, much stuff. It's a beautiful sight to behold, man. It's um, so crazy. I see it's an imperial like... two-headed dinosaur up there. I see some homies. You you got yeah. You. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I just uh I just felt that, that would um you fell in. Yeah, I would say the thing um that connects me to the show, because I, I do want to dive into like why it's a smaller show because mm -hmm. you, i mean we have we we have the i think the you have we have the friendship that like i could hand you a list of 700 artists that probably exist somewhere in the toy realm um but you were very um into the idea of like specific people which is awesome and i think this show is close to my heart in that um, you kind of generated a buzz for bootlegs in my life. Like TMNT bootlegs are my <laughs> thing that like, I can't get rid of like they're I have one on the wall and I got stacks over here. Um, and it's just something that I absolutely love. And so um, like what's why the size of the show, how did you pick that shit? Like, what was that looking like for you? Um, you know, as uh... As some people may or may not know, I actually worked as a like a new media art and video game curator before my life in the toy community. So like curating work is I, I founded a new media art festival uh, in Toronto over a decade ago that's been running for like six years now since I left. Um, and I wanted, you know, I wanted this to be a tightly curated show rather than it being sort of an open call. Um, and I wanted it to be a tightly curated show around the two objects, the head, the figurehead and the mask. Um, and the problem, you know, it's curatorial work in a community that is this big, I think is really hard because you want people to feel included, but you also still have to be selective. Mm -hmm. And so one of the criteria actually for the show that was really important because it's at New Year's was artists that were local dust and i had a very in-depth conversation about what we wanted the fabric of the artist to look like like i didn't just send him a list like we we dialogued about it for like quite some time and one of the things we settled on because of the nature of the show being at new year's and people perhaps having other plans um in and around that and maybe not being able to travel even if they wanted to come to the show was to focus really on that local community for the that experience of the, having the physical opening. So a great number of these artists are either within the immediate vicinity of, of E2K or a little further afield, but are still making plans to come. Um, and then the other one was also like thinking about 
um, a mix of artists who are both like sort of known and established and also selecting some artists who haven't shown at E2K before. I think mm -hmm. there are three Canadian artists uh, in the show, Miss Lady Hart, um, uh, Tim McDonald and Slime City Toys, who've never shown it in an E2K show, who are very much a part of my life and my immediate community in Canada as part of the fabric of the toy community here. Um, Slime City Toys and I used to table at Punk Fleas together in Montreal. We met when I was selling my toys at a, at a like a vintage toy show, but half of my table was customs that I had made. Um, you know, so it, it, like honoring that and sort of bringing other people to E2K. And then also artists whose work I like and respect and people that I've worked with who I like and respect, right? Um, and, and sort of trying to mix those, bring those elements together um, you know, sort of established artists, sort of emerging artists in the E2K sense, you know, helping bring new artists to E2K who haven't worked with Dustin before. Maybe relationships, deeper relationships form out of that. Um, and then also focusing on the local, um, because I think that was really important because um, my partner and I are actually road tripping down to spend New Year's in in Kentucky. Um, to be at the opening on January 1st. Like we, you know, it's important to me to be there. Um, I had COVID right before my solo show and there was no traveling out of Canada that time several years ago at E2K. And so I was robbed of the opportunity to attend my the opening of my own exhibition. Um, and, you know, no, no regrets. I'm not boohooing it or anything, but it was like, it was really important to me to be like, I want to make sure that as Dustin said, I can be in that space with these people who I've come to know over the year, the years through meeting them in person and other events um, and get to spend some time with them because that's the other part of this for me. The work is important. The work is, you know, the work is important. We like what we make. You know, we like what other people make. We consume that work. We're enthusiasts for the material culture of it all. But the thing that I'll remember even from something like DesignerCon that happened last weekend is that for the past two years, a large group of us have taken over the patio of like a burger place and had just like, you know, 20 or 30 of us just like hanging out and engaging in conversation with one another, which is an opportunity that we literally get once a year. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's really important to me. Like curating for me is definitely a mode of care and support. Uh, and that was, you know, sort of the, yeah, and that's why I'm going to be there to be like, I want to be there and see the work in person and talk to people and, you know. Yeah. And I, I like to anyone listening, curating isn't always the easiest thing. Um, I mean, you got to put some harsh deadlines. You've been super good on the updates of like when the show is and those things. I think that was my main reason to get my piece to you when I saw you at designer con. So it was like. <laughs> If it doesn't make a deadline, Dustin, yell at him. Don't. <laughs> yeah. But I. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's I, I think one of the hardest things because our, the community has like, I mean, I've only, you know, been involved in this community, I think, going on like just over like five ish years, maybe mm -hmm. 2018 is when I really started sort of like kind of, you know, putting my eyes over the hedge and seeing what was out there. And, you know, 
since then, like, I feel like it's hard to keep track of how many people there are. And there will, there will always be a situation where you're curating a show, you know, unless it is a, a show that is completely open to anyone. But if you like, you know, there is unfortunately part of curating is like selecting. Yeah being selective and that inevitably means that there will be people who are excluded uh you know and that's like it's actually the hardest part about it for me is like you know i could have done an online thing but i really wanted this to be like a like a you know a brick and mortar like in a space like exhibition um you know and i you know i've had conversations with people and i'm like everybody else should just get online and you know do their own thing if they want to or buy yeah. the space and do the show too the cool you know like i would i would welcome like a larger sort of it would there was a there were some conversations about doing that both at e2k and a sister exhibition out somewhere else um and it just the you know it just coordinating that was just difficult and it just didn't happen um mostly mostly because in the fall also as both of you know i got you know, fairly ill and, you know, just keeping up with my commitment just to this small group uh, for this show actually was like, <laughs> like a lot of work to stay on top of. Um, but I, I, I've i seen some pieces from it and man, the, the work that I've been seeing. Your piece is great, although the paint was so fresh that I still pulled it out of my suitcase and it was still off gassing. <laughs> <laughs> you pulled it out and you're like whoa i was like wow my uh my suitcase really smells like uh like like aerosol accelerant um yeah you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> um but uh you know yeah i just yeah it's curating can be a challenge um you know and i think that i don't want anybody to feel like i was excluding them um um you know, I've had a few conversations, people asking me if the show is still open. And unfortunately, you know, I said, unfortunately, no, I've been working on this for a long time. Everybody has kind of had their pieces for months. Um, you know, I didn't start promoting it until well after that. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, to those people, I would say, I'm sorry, but like, you know, I, I really wanted this to be like really honed and tight um, and local. Mm -hmm. um as well it's for the most part like very local um, yeah you know and i even found out that some people some artists who are on like who are on the roster for the show actually are traveling further afield for the opening because they're not excited about it too so that's great um you know i'm pretty stoked like just to be in everybody's presence that's yeah the most exciting the work is exciting to me and i am so excited to see the show put together uh, and, you know, I haven't seen a lot of the work yet. And, you know, knowing some of these artists, like I'm super eager to see the work. Um, but also I'm super, I'm more eager probably to see the people. Awesome. Um, yeah. And go shopping at E2K. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin, as we we kind of come to a, a close on this episode and, and what this means for the community as a whole and and how fun it's going to be to be a part of it and and see all these things. Um, give us an update on E2K. What shows are coming? What do you have planned for 2024? Um, how are you gonna build a second pillar in the community somehow? <laughs> um, there's not a lot to say right now. I mean, every show we do, it's like what we're solely focused on, right? Yeah. Right then. Um, 
it, so this show is going to be great. Like everybody here is stoked for it. Everybody's excited to, to see what everybody does. And I think, especially with the show, I know you guys were talking about form earlier. Um, you know, most of our shows, it's like, here's your theme. Go wild, do what you're going to do. Cause we, you know, it's not just toy artists in a lot of the shows. We have printmakers, people doing paintings, mm-hmm. weird sculptures, um, things that kind of fall outside of like the normal resin, hmm, resin toy community. But um, for this one, and it was something that we saw too with like the um, the Colonel show we did a couple of years ago. Um, it's very cool to have repeated form in a show with everybody's take on you've got this. And of course there are some people um, who I can think of at least one piece right off the bat that I would never have guessed that the Mickey head was in there (laughs) (laughs) for better or worse. It's the fantastic piece. So it's like not an exact, you know, repetition of form, but Mostly it is, and it really looks cool on a wall, and it really looks cool when you see it in person. Constraints too, like especially like like arbitrary creative constraints can really allow people yeah. to sort of like flex their creative muscles and do things like really unexpected. Um, and I'm that's sure. that's one of the reasons that that it excites me as well is the the idea that like all right, you all you all started with literally the same material and like there will there will be some repetition of form but in theme and content i like it's gonna be it's all over i don't even know what it's gonna be like that's the exciting yeah, part yeah. right um yeah yeah so I, that's that's what i'm really excited for too is to is to see what happens when you put all of these like objects that have been transformed by these people into objects that are not necessarily going to be like objects anymore. And that's really exciting. Yeah. It's cool to see. I I, I love these shows. I love seeing what comes. Um, And I I think the form gives me a, a a bit of creativity that I didn't know I had, which is awesome. Um, Especially with something like this and trying to figure out (laughs) where I want to head and, um, I can tell you my initial idea at some, some point I do want to do it. It was a giant K2SO robot. Mickey would have been the like person controlling at the top with a resin middle that had Walt's head in it. That was the (laughs) initial like, wow, this is good. And then I couldn't functionally get a couple pieces down um, the way that I wanted to. So I was like, I'm, doing disney on ice and i can't wait to show it <laughs> i did years years ago i think i think figure fetish and i figure fetish ended up with this piece that i made in a trade mm-hmm. and it was like an old mars attacks mech where i cut the bendy arms and legs off and stuck a head in it and made it oh, yeah. under a clear dome and the the um the logo was just disney's frozen because it said disney frozen uh-huh. and all i did was put a comma between disney and frozen <laughs> <laughs> nice it's like that's grammatically correct yeah do um yeah yeah you know it's one of the things like i've been i've ended up being a, like i'm I'm now kind of a collector of like mickey mouse appropriation art um mm-hmm. Right. That was in one of the ways that I do that collection, too, is if anyone's listening, wants to go to at free Mickey 2024 on Instagram 
it's sort of an ongoing intermittent catalog of Mickey stuff. Um, you know, making us appropriation art or like sort of images of Mickey in the world that have been, you know, presumably taken without without like a license or 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 permission. Um, and it's like even just walking around LA at a deli on the window of a deli, there was this Rolling Stones logo with Mickey Mouse ears sticker just slapped to it the other day. Like just randomly, you know, walking on Fairfax Avenue in Los Angeles and was like, hey. Um, you know, so like, yeah, so that's that's another way that I just sort of keeping this up, like look at all the ways in which, you know, people do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. You both have been on the show. You both know how this works. Last part is so you can plug everything coming, everything about the shop, um, anything about other Instagrams that you want people to track to. So this is your time slot. Well, you can find us. Um at earth to kentucky.com number two in there um or at 836 main street Covington, kentucky 41011 um for all your in-person needs and uh coming up i mean we've got some stuff we haven't not ready to announce most of it but um yeah i think it was teased earlier i think we were already recording um that might be a solo show from Janky Toys coming up um, in the near future as well, which we're really, really, really excited about. And um, yeah, other than that, I'll, uh, I don't want to say too much. Can I just, before, before I tell people where to find me, uh, can I just list the artists who are in this show? Absolutely. Let's do that. Yeah. Uh, so we have, we have One Trick Pony, Barbarian Rage, uh, the aforementioned Janky Toys, Remix Plethora, um Miss Lady Heart, Figure Fetish, uh Fiend Base, Steve Casino, Mallow Toys, Slime City Toys, Yako Toys, Chicken Burger Disco, Mr. Dan Productions, Disgust and Justin, Recycle the Galaxy, The Mute Witness, Jonathan Queen, Tim McDonald, Hamilton, and the Blockwatch Captain. Um, and as to where uh, I've got some things in the pipe. I've got some new toys uh, that should be coming probably later in the spring or early summer. Um, I'm working on a second issue of Plasticity, which is a sort of personal and critical look at toys. It's a zine. Um, the second volume, actually, we're going to start. I'm going to start uh, printing them as square bound, uh, like a, hopefully annual journals over the next few years. Um, the first issue is available through a link in my bio at Yoyodine Toy Division on Instagram uh, as a free digital download now. It's been out for over a year, so I'm now giving away the digital uh, edition of that. Um, and then for Mickey stuff, um, yeah, I have an Instagram, Free Mickey 2024. Uh, and those are like, other than that, I, yeah, that's sort of, that's enough. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you both for coming on and chatting. Um absolutely whenever there's shows especially dustin let me know we'll bring you on you can talk about the shows uh, i'm always interested in what e2k has got going on yeah.